0: Welcome to Shanghai Zhan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. And you can learn more about Shanghai Zhan at our website, JohnStation.com. I'm Bryce Witwan. And I'm Ali Kasmi. And Ali, as always, we'd like to thank everyone for their continued support. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google or Xiao Yuzhou, uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends, or better yet, give us that very important five-star review. Ali, it's morning where I'm at right now, but we are talking beer, and more importantly, what it takes to start and grow your own brand in China, and. I cannot think of two better people to talk about this than Alex Acker and Christian Lee. They are the co-founders of Jing A. And I think we said this to Christian before we got on the podcast, I have given them a lot of money over the past 17 years living in China. I can definitely say that uh, of brands that I truly love, uh, it is Jing A, so it's really honored uh, to have them here. Uh, just a little bit of background on Jingye. They were established uh, in the heart of Beijing as the a Brewing Company. Since 2012, it stands as a testament to the dynamicism of craft brewing. Fueled by a passion for the extraordinary, these gentlemen scour the world for unique ingredients and flavors and have brought this knowledge to Beijing brewing to China's earliest craft beers. A creates beers that are not only pushed the boundaries, but have pioneered craft brewing in China. And speaking of the beer industry, I think people don't realize this. China's beer industry is the largest in the world, generating around $125.6 billion at the end of this year. So we'll talk more about that later, but please join in welcoming uh, co-founders Alex and Christian to the show. Uh, Guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to Shanghai Zhan.
1: Great to be on the show. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks very much, guys. Great to be here.
0: Before we dive into the Jinghe Brewing Company and how you got started, what was the inspiration? Uh, what are some of the great war stories that you have setting up in 2012? Can you both share us a bit about your backgrounds? What got you to Beijing and what inspired you to embark on the journey, co-founding a craft brewing company in the middle of the Middle Kingdom? Alex, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. So so I'm American. I'm uh, from Connecticut originally, and um, I, I first Went to China in 2000. Actually, my, my mother is Chinese, so I'm, I'm kind of half Chinese. And that was, I just graduated from college. And the idea originally was to go to China and kind of uh, explore my roots a bit. And uh, kind of, I, I started off teaching English. And then I ended up uh, years later uh, working at Oval PR, and then later at Apple. So I had kind of a, at least a 10 plus years kind of uh, doing a corporate, corporate thing. Um, so that's what brought me there. And it was, it was you know, craft beer. Was kind of this whole new adventure that Chris and I had later. You know, we started in 2012, and so yeah, that was just it started as a side project, and then it was kind of the best thing that that happened that ever happened to me. I mean, it was it was uh, we we uh, it was a way to get out of the corporate thing and try to do something completely entre- entrepreneurial that we were passionate about.
0: That's great, Chris. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Uh, my parents are Chinese. Uh, my mom's from Shanghai area and my dad's from Hong Kong. Um, I grew up in a very, a very westernized household, I would say. I mean, um, you know, we sp- still speak English at, at the family table. And, and um, I, you know, my exposure to Chinese culture early on was primarily through food, I would say. Um, in 98 was my first time I went to Beijing. Um, I was doing a international summer program in Hong Kong. And the end of that, I I just backpacked in China for two, three weeks. And I I basically fell fell in love with the place, especially Beijing. I just fell in love with the energy there. It was just infectious, just this idea that anything was possible and everything was still forming. And um, so I went back to school and I really tried to figure out how to get back to China. Went back to China in the end of 99 uh, with an internship, essentially, with a Chinese-Canadian joint venture uh, with the idea that I'd be there for a year. You know, I was going to study some Chinese travel a bit more. And then like, you know, so many of us that turned into, you know, three, five, 10, 20 years. So that's how, you know, and, and then basically I, I spent most of my career uh, in, in really the, te- the technology sector in China. I started, uh, was involved with a couple of uh, internet mobile startups way back when SMS was cool and WAP. And then basically uh, from there, I went and spent quite a bit of time at Microsoft uh, over eight years, work on various parts of the business there. And then Cisco was kind of my last corporate gig. Um, I, I kind of started my job at Cisco when we started Jing A around the same time. And yeah, I mean, I think we'll get into that a lot, uh, you know, a lot later. You know, why did we start Jing A and, and the story behind that? But that's just kind of me.
0: Can you tell us about the significance of the name? It's a great logo. Uh, it's so recognizable, maybe for some of our audience who are not familiar with it. What is uh, what's meant by Jing A, and please explain what the A stands for. Sure,
2: um, I think when when Chris and I first started brewing, I mean to be honest, when we ve- when we first started, it was kind of a a hobby, and we've got this whole story about how we got into craft brewing, and we were you know we started off loving just drinking craft beer, and then we decided to try to make it ourselves, and one step after another. But somewhere along there, we started dreaming about like, hey, maybe we could you know, maybe we could brew this and, 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 you know, sell it. Maybe other people would enjoy drinking our beer. And then we, you know, as part of that, we're like, well, what would we call it? And, and I think, you know, from the start, we knew we wanted to have, to start a a craft beer brand that was very tied to Beijing. It was tied to the city that we love. So we were kind of spitballing ideas, you know, names connected to the city. And yeah, along the way, we came up with Jing A. So if you're from Beijing, then, then everybody in Beijing would know what that means. Basically, all the cars in Beijing uh, go around with license plates that start with the Jing character that's in Beijing means capital, and that's kind of the, the the license plate of the city. kind of the original OG plate was a Jing A and then after that it went all the way up through the alphabet right to Jing M and p and q and I mean only recently now with <clears throat> more electric cars out there, there now they've gone back there are some uh, new Jing A's but um, at one point, A was kind of like you could really tell how long somebody had a car, how long they'd been in the city based on the plate. And the plate would even have some special kind of privileges. So, yeah, we've, we've kind of liked it because it's, it's very Beijing and yet it's a bit of an inside joke or it takes a bit of, of an understanding of Beijing to, uh, to kind of get the reference. I think we've kind of done that with a lot of our beer names and some of the other things that we've done over the last
1: 10 years, too. I think the best way I describe it to friends, Jing A, it's, it's very similar to how some cities they have these area codes for your phone number, like these really coveted area codes. For Toronto, where I'm from, is 416. So if you've got a 416 area code, you know automatically that person's original Toronto, he or she's OG, and that's the same with with a car plate. So you know, back in the day, I had an old Jeep, it had a Jing A Jing A plate on it, and you know, that's we would go on these trips to the Great Wall, and that's kind of part of the story as well, is we would just having a Jing A plate was just like and actually the, the the logo we use today, even today, is literally a picture of our original Jing A plate.
0: Ollie did you have a Jing A plate on your Jeep? I had a Jing A plate. I had a Jing A plate for twenty years.
3: I just dropped a, a picture of the uh, Jeep Cherokee that I used to drive one of the one of the first few.
0: And you had a black license plate as well, I, right?
3: I I think Kristen had a black plate as well, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah I yeah. think
1: of course, it's got to be black. I bought this mine black sometime
3: after he bought his, but his was a Beijing
0: 2020 or a BJ 2020, I think. Ali, can you explain the significance of the black versus the blue license plates?
3: The the black plates were issued to expatriates or people that, that were basically, I mean, basically anyone that was an expat in Beijing at the time would get a black plate. Uh, and so to qualify for a black plate, you had to have uh, a foreign passport, really. But the black plates basically... At, at the time, they gave me some privilege, um, and uh, and I think, you know, it's privilege that you won't, that you can't benefit from today, but, you know, we would do, we would do, like, we would we would drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> I know you, I know this is what you want to hear, so I'm going to give it to you, but we'd be on sidewalks, and like, we'd, we'd do all kinds of crazy things, and, and you could drive into almost any diplomatic compound with a black plate, and these days, I think it's a bit, uh, regardless, they've discontinued those.
0: Um, And uh, now we're all blue. Now, what's the what's the restrictions from brewing beer in China? Is it can you actually set up your own factory and then sell it like that's how you talked about it? Or does it have to go through a retail restaurant bar kind of establishment? I know that there's a I think maybe I'm wrong, but is there is there any restrictions to doing this as, uh, you know, especially to expatriates?
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, so when Alex and I first started Jing A, our vision was always to create a brewery. That's what we wanted to do and largely focus on distribution. So like your traditional craft brewery that you'd probably see in other markets. And that was for a couple of reasons. I mean, we didn't really have a lot of experience in retail or in restaurants. Um, and we just thought that was kind of, we'd seen a lot of craft breweries in other markets that that's what they've done. The challenge in China is that if you want to brew beer, uh, craft beer in the city, um, it has to be kind of a, a brew pub because you cannot have a factory manufacturing license within Beijing City. And actually now, not even within greater Beijing, you have to be in Hebei. If you want to get um, a proper factory license, which used to be called QS, which is now called SC, that, is, you know, that, that essentially pushes you in another direction where you're, you're creating a large facility um, in, in the, basically a suburb of Hebei. Um, so, that was one of the challenge, unique challenges to Beijing that we faced. And what, the way we kind of got around that initially was to start with a brew pub. And that kind of allowed us to uh, brew you know, really small batches so we could work on the creativity, really down in our recipes, um, which, was, which was great. And then we also um, had to basically, because of that, we had to back into opening up bars and restaurants. So, um, you know, that became a real thrust. For our growth further on but initially we didn't we didn't have a plan to open up a bar or restaurant um, when we opened up our first location 9, 1949 in san Lituan, it was a lot of discussion if we should do it or not and then you know there's a, a lot of reasons why it made sense and we did it. it was probably one of the best moves we did
3: do either of you have experience in the food and beverage business or was this just learning along the way
1: we, on the other side of the counter absolutely you know receiving food and beverages is something that we've done quite a bit before getting into the bar business i think alex had a bar maybe in his dorm room at some point i don't know but for me i was i was a bus boy in college and stuff like that you know so, yeah
2: all the dots connect after the fact <laughs> but uh, yeah we um no we had we'd been to plenty of bars and restaurants of course and uh, but I mean, like with, with pretty much everything with Jinga, we were learning as we. I mean, what we came in with was some pretty solid kind of you know or experience from our corporate back, backgrounds um, on, on on the marketing and brand side, on sales, you know, on how to on how to set up a business and how to run it, and and we were both very motivated. But we didn't, you know, we were we were learning as we went, um, both in terms of brewing really good beer, which is first and foremost, but then, yeah, once we, you know, it wasn't too long before we started getting into the uh, the taproom business. I think, I think what I, I mean, my, I, I would say that was partly because of, as Chris said, the um, the challenge with, uh, with SC or with kind of getting the certification for big production brewery, but I think it was also that we found uh, that it was in, like a really important way to get our brand out there and our name out there at the, at that stage for craft beer, you know um, that like in China, even, even now a lot of people who are into craft beer, they're not necessarily buying six packs of, you know, hazy IPA at the grocery store. Right. But they're up for going out to, to tap rooms and stuff. And, and, and so there's kind of a social element to it. And I think we kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, we didn't really realize that at the, at the very beginning, but then once we once we started with our first tap room, we realized, and we also found out we were pretty good at, at at doing these. So we went from one, and now we've got ten. We've got ten now, nine in Beijing.
0: How is it to transform from a you know having this job at Ogilvy or Cisco where you got a steady paycheck and uh, you know it was every, HR department to handle everything to basically running everything on your own? especially in Beijing, especially in the alcohol business, especially in the restaurant business. Uh, What was that like?
2: To be honest, it was a dream, right? I mean, this was, I was, by the time I left Apple and not to say I didn't enjoy it and learn from it in a way in all my corporate time, but I mean, I was so ready to kind of do something entrepreneurial with Chris. I was, you know, we're, we're super passionate about craft beer. I mean, this was kind of living the dream. So, I mean, I, and we, we did go from getting paid pretty well to pretty much getting paid nothing, but I was yeah, I was kind of more than happy to to do it, you know, and to kind of ditch the I mean, it's not like I had to wear a suit exactly, but you know, it was kind of maybe dress casual, and I was very happy to trade that in for for hoodies and and jeans and 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 to be in the brewery kind of working with with our hands and things like that. So it was kind of for me at least it was kind of like no looking back I mean I missed the money a little i mean i I literally moved from a nice apartment into like one of those five story walk up like total local places <laughs> and i uh, I lived in like this one bedroom that costs like three or four thousand RMB a month for the first few years and but I was happy to make those sacrifices for for the bit you know to to be able to do that
1: you know it's interesting i think I think when I first came to china i I'd spent quite a bit of time kind of in the startup community, being involved in some tech startups, trying to start my own company. And pretty much, you know, all of them never really went anywhere. Um, but I think I think after many, many years, so this is like 10 or 12 years in corporate, I think both Alex and I, we definitely had an itch. We had this itch to, to go and do something and create something ourselves. Um, and being in corporate, I remember one time actually, And this is so long ago, so maybe my old, I think my old Cisco boss will get a joke from this. But we start, I started Cisco and Jing A with Alex at the same time, 2012. And I was spending so much time on Jing A, but I would occasionally still go to the office. I'd go to the office, you got to show your face, all this stuff. And I remember one day I went and I, I couldn't remember where my office was. I literally, like, I forgot what floor it was on. I couldn't find my office desk. Like, and I just said, like that was it. I had to. I had to quit. So, and to be honest, I never. I. I. A lot of people, entrepreneurs, say this who are working big companies and quit. Like I've never looked back. Like there's not a day that I miss being on a conference call with twenty other people, or doing, you know, playing the corporate politics. I don't miss it for a minute. I mean, and even the paycheck. Quite frankly, like I don't. I don't miss that paycheck because I, you just make adjustments to your lifestyle. I mean, as Alex said. Um, I, I downsized my life as well, significantly. And just you just learn to live, you know, within your means. And then you have all this extra time to focus on things that you, you're you passionate about. So I think it's a great trade-off.
3: Personal note as well. I'm in that interim period myself. And uh, I, was, uh, I was having this discussion with my wife. I think it's a running conversation that we have on WeChat as well uh, in terms of trying to figure out, you know, do I want to go back to the job and, you know, get that paycheck? Or am I going to, you know try to start something myself but it takes a special type of person you know and i think both you and uh and alex might i think it's a it's a different type of mindset and i just don't know how to turn that on sorry this is not this is not meant to be about me but uh but that's what i was uh i was thinking um how is there is like is there a way to get out of that boardroom kind of mindset and then think shit is there a way to transition
0: from that just to build on that i mean I think all of us face that as well. And I mean, the failure rate is huge. I remember my, my wife went to an entrepreneurial club uh, in Shanghai when she set up her business. And we were living in the room and there was literally one out of 10 people in that room is is going to succeed. I mean, nine people are going to walk
1: out with failed businesses. That's just sobering, I guess, to a lot of people. So, I mean, for for us, I think we did a couple of things that were pretty smart in the beginning. Like we... We were very conservative when we were making bets. I mean, I think some of the businesses that I've seen have have failed are, are people who come out of the gate just swinging. They they throw it on a huge bunch, a huge amount of money, and invest in something, and just end up losing quite a bit of their wealth, which is 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 unfortunate. For us, we were just very small and and very scrappy in the beginning, I and mean, that's the best way to describe it. Is we did everything on a shoestring budget, super scrappy. We we stayed employed in our jobs for the first I think Alex uh maybe you can speak to this, but for me, I think for the first you know, for twenty eleven, twenty I think I didn't go full time until maybe end of twenty twelve or um I stayed for a year um really kind of milking the corporate gig and getting that paycheck while we did Jing A on the side. Um and I think that's the if you ask me, I think the I think the 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 way to manage that transition is to do be super scrappy, make incremental bets, and just move forward in a kind of have momentum but move in a slow way forward. And then you'll get to a point where you realize, wow, like I have some momentum now. And then you can make slightly bigger bets. Um, that's, that's my two cents on it.
2: Yeah. yeah, if I can add one other thing. I mean, I think one thing that helped me is that we, I mean, for me personally, I went into it with the attitude that if we fail, that that was going to be okay. You know, that it was going to be this amazing experience to, to just have a chance to start a, you know, who gets, who gets to start a craft brewery in China, right? Like this is, and this is, we, I felt like we, I I felt like I deserved it after doing the corporate thing for 10 years. Also I had, I had, you know, I think having done the corporate thing, I wasn't like fresh out of school. I've been able to save up some money. I didn't have kids yet. I sometimes think that if I, you know, if I was uh, at a different point in my life, it might have been more difficult. But at that moment, I was super ready to like, I felt like, you know, I'd been able to save up. I was still, you know, I didn't have kids and I was so passionate about this thing that I was, I would, I would have been fine doing it for a couple of years. And if it didn't work out, then I would, then I, you know, I was confident that I could go back. And I know that, yeah, like one out of maybe not very many entrepreneurial things work, but it's funny because I don't know. I've always been like, either I was fine with failure or, or then also I pivoted to just being very confident that we would be, we would do very well.
3: I was going to ask uh, would you say that Jing'e is the first craft brewer of China? So I think I think Jing'e was definitely part of this first, like one
2: of what I would say is the first wave of craft breweries, but we weren't, you know, we weren't the first. I mean, there was a Great Leap that started probably a year or so before we did. Slowboat was also starting up right around that time. And in Shanghai, you know, Boxing Cat actually I think uh Chris, I'm not sure if you know if you know what year, but I think they were actually a couple of years earlier than that. And then, of course, there was Paul Lenner and other kind of beer bars. I wouldn't call it exactly craft or this kind of American craft beer style with IPAs and everything, but um, there were there were tap rooms and, and, and the like. But I think we did get going at at a really great time because, it, like, just when we were starting, I think craft beer was heating up. We were able to kind of kind of create a name for ourselves and, and get in early.
3: And when you introduce, obviously, most of the people drinking Jingyei today are Chinese people. And I would imagine at some point there might have been a pivot from the expat audience to more Chinese local audience. And knowing what you know about, you know, the types of beers that you drink in uh, on the mainland, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's Yanjing or Qingdao or, you know, whatever else. Like, what was like, what did competition look like for you? Or was that not a thing? and you know, how, how, what sort of a role did you know an established beer culture play in getting people to move from conventional beers uh, over to to um, to IPAs and and craft?
1: So I can I'll start with that one. I mean, I feel like um, definitely when Alex and I were looking at the opportunity of, of craft beer, there was there was the raw passion obviously that we had of brewing and and creating things with our hands, and but we're also you know, pragmatic uh, business people as well. So we looked at the opportunity. And I think one thing that was really going for craft beer at the time, there was a couple of, I think it was kind of the intersection of various trends that were happening, but for sure. I mean, first of all, beer is, is, you know, is to Bryce's point earlier, you know, China's the largest beer market in the world. Snow, uh, which is, um, you know, snow is the largest brewery in the world in terms of production volumes. Um, so craft like beer culture has always existed in china which i think is great and i think it's different from other segments if you're trying to introduce gin or coffee or wines it's different because it's more of an education uh, um, cycle around that but beer kind of at, at the foundational level was something that you know everyone always drinks in fact i still remember my first yanjing that i had in beijing in 98 and, like that was for sure one of the reasons why i got hooked in the place was like the idea was always to brew world-class beer. So that was the idea. The idea was not to say, okay, we're going to do a Chinese version of beer that's going to somehow placate the, the local consumer. We, we said, no, we're going to brew world-class beer that we could win awards for. And it would sell well, whether you're in your Beijing or in your Berlin or, or Brussels, whatever it is. Um, so that was kind of our, our idea around the product side. And I think our approach has always been you know, kind of let the market catch up. So we wanted to brew beer that we thought ourselves, that we we thought was solid beer that we enjoy. Um, we were always very, exper- and we still are today, very experimental. So we've loved getting inspiration from the culinary side of China. Uh, we've done things like, uh, you know, a watermelon wheat beer, which is uh, very popular. We've done um, a cucumber beer uh, uh, based off the dish, uh, the dish, pai huang gua. so We've always tried to kind of make that also as a little bit of a bridge to consumers, too, because they kind of get that as well, right? Oh, they understand what xigua, you know, a xigua xiaomai, they understand what that would be. Um, So that's part of it. Um, I can keep on talking about this, but I'm going to pass the mic to Alex for a bit.
2: I think that we found Chinese beer drinkers to be very open to, to different styles and curious. And, you know, there's kind of a time and place for Qingdao or Yanjing, but then also you know, I think I think people in Beijing are looking for a cool place to hang out and they're interested in trying these different flavors and styles. And 30, 40, 50 RMB for a beer at home, maybe that's a lot. But, you know, when you're going out, a, a glass of beer for 40 or 50 Kwai even uh, is not very expensive when you compare to other nightlife or, or dining options, right? Like if you're having a glass of wine or a cocktail or whatever, it's still, it's still very reasonable. On the other hand, it's, it, you know, it's not a mass market kind of style of beer. I mean, even now it's not. I mean, the penetration of, uh, of craft beer in the China market, it's, Ch- China may be the largest beer market, but craft beer is still very small. Like in the U.S., it's, it's 20, 25 percent of total beer volume sold is craft beer, which is insane. Right. And in China, it's sub one percent. Um, so there's still a long way to go. Um, but the but the but the model and and having craft beer also in kind of specialized beer beer stores and for for kind of fans you know it's kind of like there's a, the vanguard of beer fans that are out there that are super into it um, but it's not everybody.
0: Could you speak a little bit on the marketing of Jing'e? When I lived in Shanghai, even where I lived, there was like two brew pubs, and you. There, it, there seemed the tap rooms are starting to grow it, prolific. You know, lots of people can buy the go-to kits and they can just get started. Uh, 90, 90% of them I wouldn't walk into because they just looked like, you know, failures. And you could just see that they just couldn't build the momentum. Is there anything that you could talk, touch upon the A brand and the marketing that you've done? Uh, some of the things that that you would recommend that you do for, you know, a business like this to build a brand uh, like Jing A and what, what suggestions that I mean, you might have?
2: I think we're very lucky because we're, we're we're working with a brand and a product that's super fun, right? I mean, craft beer. I mean, you can be playful. You kind of have to be playful and fun with it. So, and not too serious. Right. So like from the beginning, you know, I think we had that kind of attitude and, and like Chris said, we were very scrappy at the beginning. So we had no money for, for marketing, but it was just kind of, Everything we did was marketing. I mean, the the beauty of beer also is, you know, you're making beer. So every time you make a new and interesting beer, you have the potential to kind of tell a story um, based on the branding and on the name and on the ingredients or everything around it. And so there's so much you have – and you have craft beer. It's not like Qingdao or Yanjing where they have, like, this one beer and then they have to think about, oh, like, how am I going to market this, right, (laughs) Uh, through different seasons or whatever and different years. But for us, I mean – we're brewing like different beer, new beers that we've never brewed before every month. And so there's like, there's constant opportunity to to tell the story about, you know, about, about the beer and about who we are and about how, and show off our kind of like our understanding. So we would do all these like funky, crazy beers with crazy ingredients or like riffs on, on, on kind of Beijing culture or memes or whatever, You know, we could, I I don't know, I I could go on and on with examples of of beers that we've done where the names are kind of related to the city or to culture in kind of offbeat ways. But I think that was the key part. And then, of course, later events and all sorts of other things um, as well.
1: Look, I mean, I think that's the part that um, Alex and I have always loved. It's it's the brewing and then it's also kind of the the marketing side of that. I mean, the one thing that we've always done, and I think we've done it very well, I would almost argue maybe we've done it... um, one of the guys to probably do it the best, uh, at least early on in the early days, was this idea of telling stories um, with our beers. So every beer that we do is um, a unique story, and uh, we bring that to life through uh, the ingredients that we use, the artwork that we use, the copy that we write, the way you know the content that we create around that. So that I think that I think is something unique that we've always done, and we continue to do it today. I mean, it's it's to the point where we. You know, internally we still talk about this idea. We still, you know, we talk about this idea of like the fifth ingredient, right? So in beer, you obviously have your four ingredients. You've got your water, your hops, you've got your yeast, and your malted barley. Um, and this fifth ingredient that we add, which is, um, you know, really the storytelling uh, behind a beer. And I think when you get a world class beer in terms of just production recipe, it's an amazing flavor, and then you've got that fifth ingredient story you can attach onto it. That's when the magic really comes together, and we've we've kind of had a couple of those throughout throughout the Jingan um, the Jing'en career. And then, kind of once you have that, I think the third element that we've done really well, and I think is um, is community, right? So it's it's having this amazing beer with this great story, and then you have you build community through events, um, bringing that you know bringing people together essentially. And I think that's the way that we've. Always built A from the beginning, um, and we still do it today. But even from the beginning, we would, when we were homebrewing our beers out of you know twenty liter buckets, we would uh, bottle up a batch of beer and we would just go to a party, and we hand out the beer. And you know who who doesn't like a guy showing up at a party with like a free free craft beer, right? So we would just hang, hand out beer. Um, sometimes we'd show up with a keg that we you know, and that's kind of just how we started in a very scrappy way, kind of getting our. Our name out there was just through this idea of, of of storytelling around our beers and then connecting that to community i think
0: how do you how important is the beijing story in jing a how important is the element of beijing i think i think uh, i mean ali you've lived there longer than me uh but how i mean maybe you could touch on that ali how would you describe a beijing bar experience versus a shanghai one is it different or the same i think a shanghai bar Is a lot more polished.
3: (laughs) And I have a, like, I think, uh, I think bar and nightlife culture in in general in Shanghai is a lot more, um, it's a bit more evolved, it's a bit more polished, uh, it's a bit more highbrow, it's more expensive, um, it's gated. Um, Beijing, you know, it's open, it's welcoming. You don't, you know, there's no, like it's a very low barrier for you to have a good time in Beijing. And uh and then of course the gateway for that is beer. Right? And uh and uh and then and then you know if you pair that with Rou chuan
0: or That's going to say you're in the you, in the parking lot with a chuar. There you go.
3: <laughs> if you pair that with you know if you pair meat on stick uh with uh you know whether it's you know, draft or, or uh, bottled beer. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very accessible form of entertainment for anyone that knows and understands Beijing. So uh, yeah, very different.
0: So to pivot that question, uh, Alex or Christian, either one, how how important is the Beijing story? Is that indicative of the brand and something that you would think about transporting to other other cities or other markets and keeping that kind of culture or is it not necessarily uh that that it just happens to be where we started but it's not that important how important is it
2: i mean i would say it's very important i i I, yeah i'll 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 go for i mean i think that yeah i mean once we made the choice i think from the very beginning to call it jing a and i mean we were we were in a way tying ourselves to the city and we we were also you know for and continuously, and to today as well, we're, we're always looking for ideas, and, and you know, for our beers and for the names of our beers, what have you, that, that tie to our experience. I mean, sometimes it could be because because now we, you know, we, we do have a, um, a tap room in Shenzhen as well. Um, so, so for example, we will, we might do some special beers for them, where we're kind of like tying more into the the culture or the culinary tradition down there. We've done other beers that have touched touched on that all around around China but Beijing has always kind of been our home I would say and so and it's what we understand best and everything so and there's there's you know people ask us sometimes like how do you come up with all these ideas but Chris and I have always had like this crazy back burner of of ideas it's not like hard to come up with more cool ideas for for beers you know again whether it comes in from interesting ingredients or just something that's kind of interesting that's going on in the city and like how do you represent that in a beer I think it's I think it's been a big part of our journey.
1: I would totally agree. I mean, for us, for us, Beijing and and Jinghe are are almost they're inseparable in many ways. I think as we try to represent, kind of, we've always tried to represent a slice of the city uh, through the beers that we brew or the events that we do. I think for us, the it's also our interpretation of Beijing as well. I mean, being uh, long-term expats in Beijing, we always looked at the city through a slightly different lens, I think, than potentially you know local customers. So we'd always have fun takes on things. That are in the city, and and we've always um, we've always that's always been kind of an inspiration. The city is a huge uh, point of inspiration for our beers. Actually, we've done things. We did a beer uh, based. This is many years ago when Beijing's air pollution was really really bad. We did a beer called Apocalypse, which is a double IPA, eight percent or is it eight point eight percent? I think it's eight percent. But um, basically, what we would do is we would discount this beer at our tap room based on how bad the AQI was outside. So if you got the higher the AQI the cheaper the beer got. It would start Yeah, so it was so if it was 200 AQI it was 80% off the beer. 300 AQI 70% off the beer. And then if you actually got beyond index, which has happened a couple times, we're just full on Sandstorm, beyond index, you give the we have the beer go is is given away for free until the keg runs out basically. Um and yeah, we you know that was we it was a fun thing to do and it was like it was at that time, it was really tough to live in the city. And if you're slugging it out in um, a week of 500 AQI, we wanted to kind of take something that was really negative um, and disheartening and flip it on its head and make it fun. So we've always, we've always drawn inspiration from Beijing. You know. And I think the other thing that's interesting about Beijing that we've learned is, I mean, out of all the cities in China, there's probably only a handful that are beer-drinking cities, and Beijing is absolutely one of them. Shanghai is much more of a cocktail spirits, wine culture down there. There is beer, but it's not to the level of Beijing. I think the only place that we've been to that, that was comparable, at least I think it is, is Wuhan. Wuhan has a strong beer drinking culture for whatever reason. But in, in Beijing, I mean, a lot of the breweries, craft breweries um, in other provinces, uh, especially in the South, they want to figure out how to get to Beijing because that's where the that's where the opportunity is, especially for craft.
3: What about cities like Guangzhou or in the South or even Qingdao for that matter?
1: So in the South, we, we opened a tap room in, in Shenzhen. It's really interesting, actually, if you want to get a little bit into it. Uh, the drinking culture, we spent some time understanding the drinking culture in Shenzhen is very different from the drinking culture in Beijing. And the main difference is uh, in Beijing, typically you go to a place and you sit down, you have dinner there and then you have drinks. And then that kind of is your night. Where in Shenzhen, they like to split it up. So they'll have dinner at one location. And usually it's like seafood or maybe it's huoguo or like something like that. And then they go to like Diyarchang. Chang is where they go and have the drinks. Um, and that was an interesting insight for us because our business is built around a, a, an all, like all in one experience. You have your food there. You have your drinks there. You have your music and everything you say. So that was interesting. And I think those nuances play out in all different provinces. You know, people the drinking culture isn't always the same. And uh, every province, and I think that's one thing that, um, you know, some brands need to, you know, take some time to understand as like the nuance of consumer behavior that exists, especially when it comes to food and beverage in different provinces, just based on the, on the on the local culture there. Uh, but, and, you know, in Shenzhen, I think it's, you know, they also have like really hot season is where people drink a ton of beer, but in the low season, they don't, it's too cold, they want to have warm beverage, they want to have warm soups, for example as opposed to have in Beijing, it just seems to somehow like rise above that. People just are always, you know, ready to smash some beer in Beijing. <laughs>
0: Winter, summer, it doesn't matter. We have to ask the question about how COVID and the lockdowns disrupted your business and has it been a return? I mean, people are going out again, is it business is normal? How has your business evolved as a result of the COVID situation? Uh, could you give us some, some insight on that?
2: Absolutely, there has been a return. First of all, Um, and business is good right now. I I think that uh, you know there there's other issues now. The economy is not uh, is is suffering a little bit. In Beijing, there are far fewer expats than there were. Um, So I think these things are affecting us a little bit. But it's uh, it's still it's it's consistent and back to normal business right now, and we're doing we're doing quite well during the COVID time. I mean, it was a very tough time, especially the last year of it. Uh, what's kind of weird is that the uh, the first couple of years, there were there were bad months. There were times where there were lockdowns, right? Beijing was kind of, Beijing. I mean, basically things were under control most of the time. And China was kind of quite successful at keeping COVID out of Beijing and things would kind of go back to normal and business would be close to normal. I think they took, you know, they took some of our tables out and It would limit the seating a bit, whatever, but our business was good. And then in 2020 and 21, though, we would have, you know, in total, maybe a couple months where things were more affected. And and that basically kind of, you know, if you in in that business, if you've got two bad months out of 12, it pretty much blows the entire year. Right. Like So we would have some months that were almost normal. And then you'd have like one or two months in each of those years. It was just like really bad. And so it wasn't, wasn't great, but our business changed a lot. Like when we went into, you know, COVID, we literally had two locations, two tap rooms or one brew pub and one tap room. And over the course of the, you know, coming into um, the beginning of this year, we had, we've got 10 now. Um, so we've grown a lot. We kind of grew through the COVID period, despite the issues.
0: And, and what do you come for that, Alex? What made, do you grow the business during, during this time? I mean, one of the things you said about two months can kill a restaurant bar business, and I know for at least in Shanghai there were a number of locations. I mean, it was obvious that so many places closed up. Landlords don't discount discount rent. I mean, there might have been some kind of government handout, but generally speaking, there was just a lot a lot of carnage uh, from in the in the F and B business. So. Uh, what do you count for growing the business during during COVID time, or after post COVID time?
2: Well, you know, I, I I think that I mean Chris mentioned earlier that at, for the first few years of our business we were very scrappy and kind of conservative in our choices. Um, but over the COVID time, I think we realized that we had kind of a good, you know, that we we're you know we were opening these these locations. They're doing really well as long as they're able to operate. Um, and so we were kind of striking while the iron was hot because there were there were also opportunities. I mean, landlords were not giving giving out free months or lower rent for people that had already signed a contract. But if they were negotiating for a new contract, that was a different story, right? So we were able to pick up some good locations, like for example, our we've got a um, probably our uh, you know our highest biggest grossing location is at the Kerry Center in Beijing and CBD. And that's one that we, uh, we had the opportunity to, to take that space right at the beginning of COVID. Um, and actually it was, it was St- Stone Brewing, which is a big American uh, brewery was, was set to take that space and they had to drop out. Not It wasn't only because of COVID, there were other issues, but they, they decided to drop out and, and they actually you know uh, mentioned it to us. And then we got into a conversation about it. And, and because of, all the issues that were going on, I think we were able to get um, you know a good deal on that on that location, and it's and it's um, it's worked out really well.
3: So there's kind of you know there's another side of the coin with all the issues. Part of the you know part of creating community, I guess, um, from my understanding and what I've read and what we've talked about, Christian, is that you've also initiated something called Eight by Eight Brewing Project. And um, I guess the intention is that you know you create pathways for international craft brands to also enter into China, and there's opportunity for Jingye, um as a craft brand in in China to work and collaborate with a non-Chinese uh, brewery as well. What what was the what's the intention behind this, and how does that help? Um, I guess A and and how have you benefited from this?
1: Sure. So, um, to just, I'll just kind of recap a little bit what first, what eight by eight is. So, um, uh, we do call it the eight by eight brewing project. Um, it's been running for seven years. Basically, it started with the idea around collaboration. Collaboration is something that, uh, Jingye's always loved to do. And, and from the very beginning, Alex and I loved collaborating with other breweries. Um, uh, you know, because when you collaborate, it's this really fun opportunity to come together with another brewery. And like almost, almost like write a new song together, like two bands coming together, to write a new song. You just, you just get to create something off the wall. You get to learn from each other in terms of brewing techniques and any, and, and some recipe formulation. Um, and usually, you, you end up becoming just a great friends because you hang out for you know forty eight hours, brew beer, and and consume a lot of beer. So it's, it's we've always loved that process. Uh, one thing that we did realize though is that a lot of our peers, um, you know, people who are brewing great beer in China. The local breweries they didn't they didn't really have an avenue to engage with foreign breweries. Um, so the idea for us was okay, well let's create a platform um, eight by eight eight breweries from from one part of the world, um, and it, it changes every year. So it's been last year uh, was the first time we had uh, eight by eight in its original format um, post COVID, and we invited eight breweries from New Zealand and Australia, and then we chose eight of what we think to be some of the best breweries in China. And we pair them up and each pair gets together and they get on Zoom and they chat and they, they come up with a recipe. And then the, brew is, the beer is brewed in China and then it comes together in a, in a two-day festival in Beijing where each brewery also brings some of their other beers. So, you know, across the two days there's maybe over 150 beers that could be sampled and tried. Um, so something that we've been doing um, and uh, has been quite successful I think it's an interesting question like why do you do it like what does jingang get out of it <laughs> I mean to be honest it's we had we've never made any money off of it we, we lose money every year I think what we do I mean we just love having we, it's 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 just something we love it's, it's a real passion project I think it also it also kind of brings a lot of awareness around craft craft beer um, because it's a place where a lot of people who potentially are novices or have been dancing around the fringes of craft beer maybe they have the occasional whole garden or whatever and they think they're being a bit wild it's, it's a chance for them to come to a place and try all of these different beers so it kind of opens the market up a little bit i think it's a great thing for the industry as well um, and it's also in many ways a, a way for us to put china and specifically beijing on the map as a craft brewing center of the world and that's something we've always aspired to do um, you have these centers around the world so you've got places like copenhagen as a center of craft beer. Um, you have, uh, you know, Seattle or Portland and you have these different places around and, we sit, and we've and we always thought Beijing could be a, a center of craft beer. So, so there's that as well. So, I mean, I think there's kind of these more like long-term benefits from it. Short-term is just a really great party. <laughs> you know, we get to have once a year. That's awesome. You know, I think you mentioned, uh,
0: Alex, you mentioned that a lot of expats leaving post-COVID. Generally speaking, there's just a lot of there's a lot of negative energy going on between the China-American relationship. I just saw recently that they said that there are only 350 American students in studying in China now. In 2011, when, when you guys were starting to come to China, there's 11,000. Obviously, you're staying the long course in China. What advice would you have to, you know, foreign businesses about the China market? Is it worth... The effort and the investment to now to uh, to get into their relative business uh, there, or has that kind of golden era kind of passed?
2: That's a big question. I mean, I guess it would. I think it really. First of all, I think it very much depends on what 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 business uh, or what industry um, somebody's in. And I think that China will always be there, will always be a force, and it's and and there will always be a massive market and opportunity for businesses out there. But uh, there's no question that things are, you know, a little, a little rockier now than when we started off. And kind of our, our, you know, if you look at the Jing A story from 2012, and, and it and for us in particular, it, it it helped a lot that there was a big expat community. That it was the 11,000 students rather than 350, for example. I, I think that um, in the early days, our 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 fans were probably easily more than half uh, expat at the, at the very start. And of course, that's transitioned a lot. Uh, to the point where it's uh, you know it's 95 plus percent uh, local. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I guess first of all, I would say it's hard to generalize across all the different industries, but that China is such an important um, you know market and country in the world that you can't you can't ignore it. You have to have a strategy for it. And I certainly personally hope that things uh, pass and that things improve and that uh, the investment and in business climate gets.
0: Uh, better i I would say the majority of our podcast listeners obviously we we have a a small community of our podcast listeners in in china but for the majority are outside of china where might they able to enjoy a refreshing glass of jing a
1: well right now i mean if you're in singapore you can get jing a Uh, you can get it pretty widely available in singapore um our worker pale ale is doing quite well there i think we have Our workers' pale ale, we have our Flying Fist IPA, and I believe we have our Mandarin Wheat, three SKUs in Singapore. Um, So I imagine there would be a little bit more expansion in that area, potentially in Malaysia. Kuala Lumpur could be one. But outside of that, we've been very focused still on kind of the China opportunity. And I think the team continues to do that. There's, uh, you know, even Beijing in itself, if you look at that, we have nine locations in Beijing. There's, you know probably opportunity to double that in Beijing uh, no problem so I think that's the the focus right now and occasionally we do get invited to these festivals these international beer festivals which are a ton of fun and we pour beers um, we pour our beers in the U.S. uh, Canada Europe um, and you know I I guess just kind of watch our social media feed and if uh, about international festivals we might be attending in 2024
3: yeah. um would you you know would you still if you had to do this all over again would you do it and you know what tips do you have to to young young you know entrepreneurs um to start up their own business in in china or specifically in beijing today
1: so to your first question would i do it again absolutely i mean i would for sure do it again um i do think that when i look at the jing a story we got really lucky in terms of the timing of when we started Jing A it was really kind of this craft beer boom was just happening in Asia and, and other parts of the world. And we really were able to kind of just capitalize on a wave. So I think it was like right time, right place. Absolutely. Um, so I think that would be one of the first things I, I would say for new entrepreneurs is looking at the opportunity you're, you're looking at right now. And, and A is the timing, right? And do you have an edge, you know, from day one, do you, is something you're offering that, that, creates a slight edge to some of the competition, I think is, is something that I would um, advise on. I would advise that for us, what we did really well is.
3: It sounds kind of counterintuitive, right? To what you said, sorry, I'm interrupting, but it was sort of like you guys did this because you loved it. There wasn't much competition out there. You believed it was the right time and then you went for it. Yeah, And so in that state, I'm kind of thinking, asking myself, like, who's thinking about whether or not this is the right time to launch a beer brand?
1: I, I don't, I, yeah, I mean, Alex, you jump in there with, with what you think, but I think that for sure those questions, those questions were, no, those questions for sure were looking going through, through our mind. I mean, I think, I think we, we were seeing the opportunity of craft beer surge in, surge in the US. Um, we knew that China is a beer drinking country. Um, people are going to trade up. So there, were, there was definitely some, some logic behind what we wanted to do. A lot of it was driven by passion. But we did, you know, I, I think we, we vetted the opportunity before we really jumped in, I, I would say. And I think the other thing is what I mentioned is we, we did things in a very incremental way. So even, you know, in the first, I would say, two to three years, you didn't lose your shirt. If it didn't work out, you didn't lose your shirt. It was like, okay, that was interesting. We got some good experience but that didn't work out. I think that was key as well.
2: I think I think for us, it, we I mean, we certainly did vet the opportunity. I don't think we would have been as excited about it or necessarily, you know, jump ship on our corporate jobs. If, if, if we felt that there were a ton of other, you know, we love craft beer and whatever, but there's like so many good breweries already and we looked into the the business plan and it was just like going to be almost impossible to be successful, then I don't think we would have done it. So we definitely weren't, you know, we weren't, stupid, but, but at the same time, it is absolutely true that even, even with a good business plan, you know, that there's a high, high likelihood of failure, right. And you have to kind of, I, so if I'm, I don't know if it's wisdom, but I mean, for me, it helped to kind of almost embrace that, you know, (laughs) to say like, you know what, I'm like totally on board with doing this. And even if it is a failure, it's going to be a great opportunity. And I think if you can get yourself there as an entrepreneur, uh, that it's worth doing, even if it's if, even if it doesn't work out, then of course that takes a lot of the pressure off,
3: you know, because <laughs> then it's all it's all upside.
0: That's great, Ali. Are we ready for the A B test?
3: A stands for Ali, B stands for Price. I'm going to throw two words at at both of you. Um, I'll do this one at a time. Um, it might be words, might be phrases. Uh, I'll start with you, Alex. You need to choose one of the two words. Uh, Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, craft or culture? I'll say craft. I like culture too. I like culture as well. Jing A or
1: Jing A all the way. <laughs>
3: um, the tap room or the board room, Alex? The tap room. It's tap room for sure. The tap room or the brew pub?
1: Brew pub all the way.
3: I'm a bit ignorant. What's the difference between taproom and brew pub? I know that you guys mentioned both of these. In the, like, how are they different? I've been to the taproom.
1: The main difference is a brew pub, you, you, you have a brewery on site. Uh, you're brewing the beer. Okay.
3: All right. Alex, product or marketing? Product or marketing? Product. Good product is the marketing. Chris, for you, stories or community? Community. Uh, Alex, Beijing, Wuhan. Beijing. Uh, Chris, Mandarin wheat or worker pale
1: ale? Absolutely worker pale ale. I wish I could have one right now. Excellent.
3: Uh, The last one for you, Alex. Uh, China 2023 or China 2000 or 2003, I guess. 2000, China, China, China 2003. Although if
2: it was China 2008, that would be even better.
0: Well, Kristen, Alex, thank you for being on the show. As Great insights that you shared with us uh, and an amazing success story and all the success to you, uh, all the success to Jing A in the future. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you.
0: And thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's episode. Join us in a few weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day.